Cultivating a sense of self is one of our strongest techniques for developing and maintaining wellness in our surgical careers. Understanding who we are and living according to that identity can make even the toughest days rewarding. But conversely, struggling with notions of self and how we fit into our surgical existence can be one of the biggest sources of struggle at work and in everyday life. Defining and living purpose is one of the most helpful approaches to developing a mindful sense of self and who we are. Kyle Richards is a phenomenal young surgeon who thinks a lot about and cultivates purpose on a regular basis. I hope you enjoy this conversation. My name is Phil Parazio, and I'm a urologic oncologist, a surgeon. Like many of you, I absolutely love what I do, and I would not choose another profession. But I have struggled with professional identity, practice efficiency, and wellness over the years. Operate with Zen is a podcast designed to explore a mindful approach to surgery and to being a surgeon. By discussing these struggles and mindful solutions, I hope together we can create a community of strong and healthy surgeons. Enjoy. Welcome to Operate with Zen. Today, I have the great pleasure of being joined by Kyle Richards. Kyle, introduce yourself to the audience. Hey, Dr. Parazio. Thanks for having me. So I'm a uh, urologic oncologist at the University of Wisconsin in Madison. I wear several hats. I'm also the chief of urology at the William S. Middleton Memorial VA Hospital. I'm the associate program director for our residency program. Uh, I'm a health services researcher focused on quality of care and bladder cancer. I'm the immediate past chair of the Young Urologist Committee for the American Urologic Association, father of two daughters, and husband of an artist. There you go. Wonderful. Kyle and I have known each other for years through urology realms, first through residency, then through oncology realms. And um, Kyle put together a wonderful young urologist session at at last year's AUA, this was the one in Vegas that got canceled and it's virtual. And I, th- I think you can still track it down. Um, so if you're interested in seeing that, I- I'd recommend you do that. But Kyle's here today to talk about purpose and what does that mean as a surgeon? What does that mean as a father? What does that mean as a husband? And how do we put that all together? So Kyle, why don't you start us off here? Just let's talk more in the abstract. Talk to me about purpose, why purpose is important, uh, and we'll move from there. Yeah, so, so at the, at, thanks for giving us a plug for the uh, AUA Young Neurology Forum. I, it is still available um, on the AUA website, so if you want to track it down, that'd be awesome. Uh, I was part of a, a, a panel, a uh, distinguished panel with uh, Dr. Nakata, Dr. McCachran. Uh, I think Dr. Nakata was on, on your podcast uh, recently as well, and talking about leadership, and uh, I, I was uh, able to talk for a bit about sort of purpose and, and balance. And from a sort of an abstract perspective, for me, having purpose means that, that you and I are here for a reason, that we're not just, it's not just some random event that happened that we're here today talking or that we come to work every day or, or that we have uh, families and spouses. 
that there's a greater reason behind all that. And, and for me, it's really a, a belief system that you have to buy into. And it really adds for a great amount of depth and meaning to your life. It can create joy and fulfillment and really give you a compass to help guide your journey. Uh, so it's a belief system. It, it can have a religious or spiritual foundation as well. For, for me, uh, for full disclosure, I'm, I'm a practicing Catholic. And, and so it, it comes down, it, it's sort of like when we as Catholics say that we have, we have the faith, we have a belief, and that's part of who I am as a, as a human being is, you know, I certainly have, you know, we can get into a long discussion about evolution and why we're here and this and that. But at the end of the day, uh, I believe that we're here for a purpose and, and we're put here for a reason and that each of us has to sort of figure out what that purpose is. It's not something that we can just pick up a book and, and read about, um, it's, it's part of our story, part of our journey that we have to sort of figure out as individuals. Yeah, I think it's uh, all really poignant. And I think one of the really important things is, you know, we talk about a mindful approach to surgery on this podcast a lot. And, and part of being mindful or the main part of being mindful is, is being intentional, right? Being present in the moment. And if you don't think about your purpose, and you may not know exactly what your purpose is, but if you're not working towards a purpose or identifying it, you in, in my opinion, I think the opinion of others, you, you can't be fully present in the moment. You're not being intentional necessarily in what you're doing. As you said, you're just kind of going through the day and it's not necessarily contributing back meaning to who you are and, and what you're doing. And you're not getting everything out of who you can be and, and what you can do. Yeah, I think, I think you're right, uh, Phil, is it, it has to be intentional. Um, you, you know, you have to, think about this. It's not something that I think is natural for a lot of people. So it does require a lot of introspection and self-reflection and really figuring out exactly what makes you tick. Yeah. And, and we're going to get into how people can help work and refine and, and identify their, their purpose. But, you know, I'd also just like to take the, the moment to point out there, there are I would say well-documented, but the, you know, these aren't scientific publications, but in a lot of literature, in a lot of psychological and social sciences, there are real benefits to defined purpose. And in medicine, these are, as you alluded to, wellness, combating burnout, um, being in a flow state or kind of a high energy, good feeling moment are all achievable with purpose. So there is science behind this and, and, and a lot of support for, for identifying a purpose. So give us, tell us your personal story here. You know, um, I, I'll, I can, I'm happy to share mine as well, but you know, I, I'd say purpose is always an evolution, but, but tell us your story and how you came upon this and how you got, you know, thinking about this. Yeah. It's like, well, where do I start? You know, I guess you go back to the beginning probably, but for, for me, as I've thought more and more about this over the past few years, it really goes back to when I started medical school at the beginning of, of my medical training. I, I remember myself being so excited my 
and really knowing that this, this was my purpose in life was to be a, a, a physician, was to be a doctor. Uh, so I think back then when I started medical school in, uh, you know, 2003, um, I was, I, I knew pretty clearly what my purpose was. Uh, but I think somewhere from, from then until I finished my training, that ideal got really kind of pushed into the background. And I remember starting my practice here about seven years ago, being excited, but also as you sort of get into the grind of your daily practice, feeling like something was just missing. There was maybe some emptiness, um, lack of fulfillment. And I, I started to talk to some of my colleagues, not just other urologists, but you know, nurses, uh, nurse practitioners, physician assistants. And I remember hearing uh, one of my colleagues say, I see my patients and I get my work done. And then I go home. And I just remember, I think at that point in time, thinking, wait a second, there's something wrong here. Um, I don't, you know, we're here not just to see patients and get your work done. We're here to change, you know, we're, especially as a cancer surgeon, we are interjecting ourselves in the lives of these patients at their lowest point oftentimes. And, and that's when I started to say, that's when purpose sort of got interjected back into my uh, uh, bloodstream, I think. And I started to feel it flow again. Um, you know, and I think there, there was this emptiness where you're clicking away in the electronic health record and the administrative burden that gets put on us from hospitals and health systems. And there's more, I, I just said, there's more, there's gotta be more to it. Like I'm not here to, to click boxes um, or to do online, you know, trainings that from, from the health system. There's, there's more to it. So then I said, Let, let's get back to the basics here. Right. And I, I'm here to cure cancer. That's, that's what I'm here for. I'm here to help patients with cancer, urologic cancers, and even more specifically for me is bladder cancer. I'm here to focus and my purpose is to help patients with bladder cancer, patients and their families and their caregivers. And, and I said, you know, this is, this has got to be my sort of personal mantra. Almost. This is my sort of mission statement. Uh, this is my purpose. And, and so I, it sort of came, you know, I, I was at a, almost a low point where I said, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm being asked to do a lot of things that I really don't want to do. Um, so what is it that makes me happy? What is it that drives me? And for me, I, I, I you know, was pretty clear that it was, it was urologic oncology, and even more specifically bladder cancer patients. Um, so, so that's where I think my story led to, to where I'm at today. And I think part of it too was um, a lot of us are asked to do things maybe outside of your primary purpose area. And I think that for me, I, I try to do at least, at least more than 50% of my time, I, I find it should be spent working within your purpose area once you've defined what that purpose area is. 
at least 50%, because then you can say at least more than more often than not, I'm doing something that I'm passionate about. Uh, now, ideally, you want that number to be 100%, but that may be an ideal that we all can work towards, but uh, I think at least 50%. And if you're asked to do, do things, we're all asked to do things, I think, outside of our per primary purpose area, try to, try to make it more interesting. Uh, I, I told a story uh, at the Young Neurology Forum about, um, you know, I'm also in, you know, another purpose area of mine is research. So if I'm asked to do things that maybe aren't that interesting or that purposeful for me, if I can sort of turn it into a research idea or study it or a quality improvement project to make it better for the health system or for the patients, then, well, I might be doing something, you know, a clinical task that I don't really enjoy, but I can at least spin it into uh, a research area that I do get purpose out of. So that's sort of where my story has led me to today. I don't want to take too much time and talk about my story, but I think there's some phenomenal parallels. And I think uh, similarly, um, I came to purpose through negatives as well, meaning there was something missing in my practice, something missing in my life and, and slightly different scenario. But, you know, I remember being a, a more junior faculty member and sitting down with some of the faculty development people and writing down things like mission statements and purpose and values, but it was almost perfunctory, right? It wasn't as intentional as you and I are talking about now. And then all of a sudden you're working away as hard as you can. You're taking care of a ton of patients. And all of a sudden I sat there and I realized I was not taking care of patients the way I wanted to take care of them because I had become that proverbial cog in the wheel. I was just running through the motions, as your colleague said, check in, check out, do as many surgeries, take care of as many patients. And that's not why I got into medicine. It was to build quality relationships. It was to take people through longitudinal care. It wasn't supposed to be just episodic, right? And, and while we both do cancer, I don't do a lot of bladder cancer anymore, but our, our diseases are similar where in, in urology, where we take care of patients for an extended period of, of time. And so it made me really reflect back and say, why am I doing this? Why am I here? And my mantra, um, which gets me through the day sometimes, and hold up, this is uh, it's my little rock that says care for people. And when I'm having a really rough day and I'm having a tough time trying to find my meaning, I'm here to care for people. And, and I think the beauty in medicine is that we're all here for some version of that. Right. And you said, you know, cure cancer, treat patients and their families with cancer. I said, care for people. We're all here to help people and make the world a better place. And the hard part is making our lives fit that model, fit that, fit that purpose. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I have, uh, I agree. I mean, it's, it's, it's all about the, the sort of the altruist, I, I kind of go back to when I started medical school, it's, it's that altruistic uh, reason why I, I personally went into medicine. I know some people maybe went into it for other reasons, but for me, it was, and I think, you know, there are other reasons to go into medicine and healthcare, um, but, uh, but I think the altruistic reasons, the, the wanting to, to give back, the wanting to help other humans that are suffering in their, in their low points is for me the most rewarding thing so for for purpose it's sort of getting back to that mindset and just like you've got you know you've got your your rock 
I've got my, my file cabinet next to my desk here. I've got a drawer full of cards from patients that I just keep. And every time I'm having a, a kind of a rough patch or I'm like, what am I doing here? I just open the drawer, take a peek in there. And I see it's full of all these cards and little gifts from patients, you know, thank you cards, whatever. And I said, ah, doesn't that feel good? You know, that, that, that we're able to help so many people and they're grateful for the service that we provide. Um, and, and it really keeps me uh, motivated and keeps me moving forward. And, and, you know, I think it's easy for, for healthcare providers to feel like they're cogs, cogs in a wheel, or uh, I know there's increasingly we're felt to be commoditized as healthcare workers by our health systems, you know, that we're replaceable, you know, in the drop of a hat. Um, and that's not a good feeling to have, but it's, it's, I think it's a realistic uh, sort of statement to make. I think it's something that we all have to sort of grapple with is, is, um, and it's not about how many patients we see or how many RVUs we make or uh, how many surgeries we do. And I think for me, as I, you know, it's easy to get, that's kind of a trap that the health system sort of puts us into thinking that, you know, you get that monthly RVU report and, you know, Sometimes your boss is wanting, you know, pushing you to do more and see more patients. And at the end of the day, none of that matters. Uh, none of that, none of that really matters. Like when I go home to my wife and kids, you know, they don't ask me how many surgeries I did today. You know, they don't ask me how many patients I saw. I mean, they, they could care less, but they do, they do want to know that I, I worked hard and that, I took good care of my patients, whether it was, you know, one patient that I saw or 20 patients, uh, that's what they really ultimately care about the, the people that love me the most. So, so that, that kind of, kind of helps to keep me grounded as well. That's a great message. And, um, I think it's important to realize that no one is going to protect your purpose to your point. Right. And in fact, our institutions, not that they're against our purpose, but that's not their purpose. Right. <laughs> exactly. And, yeah. And you really have to be, you have to defend who you are and who you want to be with incredible passion. Uh, and I think, you know, the, there's a, a concept in, uh, in kind of the, the uh, Buddhist traditions of Dharma, right? And Dharma is where purpose and passion meet. Um, purpose, passion, and compassion, actually, right? So it, it's all of those things together, but that's a perf that's a great analogy for medicine and who we are. And it's really hard work. It's not easy to do this. And I love what you said before about, you know, try and get 50% of your, your time into the things you love, but when you're not doing something you, you, that's not in that purpose, see if you can make it purposeful. And I think that's great advice. Yeah. And I, you know, I told a story about uh, at the Young Urology Forum about Scott Egner, how he sort of attacked this. Uh, he's a urologic oncologist at the University of Chicago, where I did my fellowship. Uh, I also uh, think, uh, you know, but it's it's uh, there's there's ways to make certain tasks that you may not find that enjoyable or purposeful. You know, and obviously you can't turn everything into purpose, but 
Um, but if you're finding yourself having to do like for, for me, I was, um, I was sort of surprised. It may be a little bit taken off by the amount of office procedures that I was being asked to do, uh, whether it be office cystoscopies for hematurial evaluations or prostate biopsies. It, it seemed like a tremendous, it, it was a big load. And, and, uh, you know, I was more interested in, in taking out, you know, help, you know, bladders for instance. Um, and, and, uh, so I, 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 the other thing I noted with these office procedures is that we were doing a lot of, um, uh, our system, every patient needed a urinalysis prior to any office procedure. And I thought that was a little bit, you know, and I know there's a lot of urology practices that do that as well. And so I saw that as an opportunity to study if that was really necessary. So, so to make these office procedures more sort of interesting, I enrolled patients in a, in a prospective trial, randomized prospective trial to see, uh, you know, half the group gave a urinalysis, the other half didn't. And then we did their procedures and then we followed them for 30 days to see if that, uh, if that urinalysis was really necessary. Um, and we wound up enrolling 664 patients in this study. And to me, it was a very rewarding experience to, to, to be able to do this, this prospective trial uh, for something where normally I would have said, you know, just gone through the motions and done the procedure and gotten in and out of it. But this, this, and, 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 and by doing this, it was a more rewarding experience for myself. It helped to fulfill my purpose of advancing the field. Um, and it'll be a nice contribution, I think, to the science and, and, and a nice publication. Yeah, that's great. Um, you know, I've always kind of taken a, a um, uh, not as well planned out road, I would say. And, you know, listen, we all got to deal with the electronic medical record. I really, uh, for a number of reasons, um, have a hard time just following up with the, with patients by phone. I don't hear well is one of them. So I don't like talking by phone. So it becomes a real challenge for me. Um, and so I dislike talking on the phone, but one of the things I always do is just say, it's not about me. It's about them. Right. And even though I don't want to do this, they, they need this. And that's why I'm here. So, you know, I, I turn my angst into purpose, but I love how you take these, um, kind of challenging moments, the things we don't want to do. And you found uh, you've repurposed it. I mean, you've made it part of who you are. And I, I think that's a, I think that's next level. Uh, I'm going to strive to do that kind of moving forward on, on some of these things I find challenging, but I think that's a, a wonderful piece of advice. Yeah, it's, it's, it is, it is next level. It's, I think um, it doesn't have to be that, you know, that was a pretty big example of something that you can do to sort of you know, repurpose something or, or, or change your mindset. It doesn't have to be that big, um, you know, because that that required a fair amount of resources and support from the department. But uh, uh, not everyone's going to get those those resources and support. Uh, fortunately, I have a great boss. But um, but yeah, it could it, it could be smaller little little repurposes and frame shifts and and and, and mindsets uh, to, uh, to 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 allow you to uh, spend more of your time. Uh, working on things that you find enjoyable and purposeful and, and sort of less time on more remedial tasks or, or things that uh, are not going to make you as happy. Yeah. Really nice. I want to, um, you know, you brought up your kind of religious background and, and purpose through religion. And I also 
grew up in a Catholic tradition. Um, I raised my children in a Catholic tradition. We do the same thing. And listen, there's certainly, we can all draw questions into our faith and, and how faithful we are. But one of the things I really believe is that we can live on through the example we set, the people we interact with and, and how we're remembered and, and pass things on. And so I'd love to hear how your faith kind of influences your purpose and, you know, potentially even purpose outside of medicine. You know, I think uh, my, you know, my faith is, is very important uh, as a practicing physician, as a, as a dad, as a husband, member of the community, uh, whatever it might be. Uh, it's, it's my top priority. If you look at my priority list, um, you know, God comes first and it helps to, it helps to, you know, it's my foundation essentially based on what everything else is built. So when I, whenever I, um, am dealing with, um, so, so for instance, at, at work at doing what we do here, um, taking care of complex, uh, cancer patients, it's incredibly helpful. Um, you know, I, I think, um, you know, and I try not to push my faith on patients out of respect for different religious or cultural beliefs, but it certainly helps to be, it's, it's, it's my compass and my foundation for how I am as a, as a person. And it helps me to take care of patients. Um, you know, it helps me to, it's, it's my coping mechanism, uh, when, when I'm dealing with a, a complex post-op patient or a patient that's having complications or even prior to surgery, you know, we talk about sort of being in the moment and mindfulness, you know, I think, uh, you know, it's, I, I think prayer is, is incredibly helpful for me because it, it can help me to sort of calm my mind and I, I can just let it, I know it's, I, I, I use, I sort of say, well, it's in God's hands. It's out of my control. And, um, and, you know, I do everything that I can, but at the end of the day, it's, it's sometimes it's, it, it's, it's, whether it's got, you know, I sort of believe it's, it's either in God's will or it's not. And uh, so, so my faith is, is really helped to form how I function as a uh, urologist uh, and as a, you know, just as a man in general. And, uh, and that's, that's sort of how I come, came back, you know, came to believe that I'm here for a higher purpose. It's not, it's not my will, it's God's will. So what anything that I can do is, is with God's help. And, uh, and that's my uh, basis of everything that I do. And, and, and the great thing is and the other belief that I have, that helps drive this is, is that I get to witness these little tiny miracles on a daily basis. I'm always, you know, although I, I, you know, I can take somebody through this major surgery and get them healed up and back to normal. And some people might say, well, that's, you know, that's just you being a good surgeon. Uh, but I think it's more than that. I'm, I'm still amazed when I can take out someone's bladder and make a new bladder and they heal up and they, come back to see me a year later and they're doing great. You know, those are little tiny miracles that have happened along the way. And that's sort of how I view it. Uh, and, and being able to witness those things, uh, it's just, it's just amazing. That's what keeps me coming back and gets me up every day in the morning, uh, to, uh, do what I do. It's amazing. I, I, I love just hearing you, you know, I, I've seen you speak before and I've listened to you speak before, but just seeing it here, kind of the relation between 
faith and purpose and passion. Uh, it's really, um, I think, enjoyable and enlightening to kind of see it. Uh, and different people are going to bring different faith structures. They're going to bring different belief systems, but the kind of basic concepts of aligning your passions and your faith and your beliefs and your purpose, I think is a really important message, no matter where you come from or, or what your belief systems are. Yeah. Cause I think the other thing that helps me as a surgeon is, 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 um, and in taking care of patients, I mean, I guess if you were, you don't have, this isn't unique to being a surgeon. I mean, it could be true if you're a, a, an internist or, you know, pathologist, I mean, you're going to have some, some rough patches in your career, right? There's going to be hardship without a doubt. And, uh, and if you have no foundation, you know, that could be the end of your career potentially, or, or it could really put you into a downward spiral or, you know, substance abuse or whatever, you name it. And, um, having a faith or having a belief system, I think can help, help you out, out of that hole that we all will fall into at some point in time, whether it's, you know, the death of a patient or a, maybe a misdiagnosis. I totally botched a diagnosis. Um, how are you going to get out of that? You know, are you, you know, are, are you going to drink heavily or, you know, what are you going to do to get yourself out of that hole? Um, and for me, I have a faith and a foundation where I don't have to fear if that happens. I expect that at some point it may happen. Uh, and if it does, I'll get out of it, uh, through prayer and, and God willing, I'll be better off and learn from my mistakes, uh, to move forward. Yeah. It, it's tremendous how purpose can protect against burnout and all of the struggles we've seen in medicine now, increasing rates of physician suicide, increasing rates of substance abuse, people leaving the field, whether it's physicians, nurses, uh, um, nurse anesthetists we're seeing it at our hospital, MAs. I mean, we're losing staff left and right because of the struggles that people experience on, on a daily basis. And purpose, defining your purpose, working towards your purpose, having a meaning other than yourself, I think is, is tremendous. And, and these are not original thoughts by you and I, I mean, they may be original thoughts that have come to us, but people have been saying this for a very long time. And I'll just point out to the audience, if you have not read Viktor Frankl's book, Man's Search for Meaning, it is a phenomenal read. It's relatively short. Um, he was a psychologist in the, or psychiatrist in the, the Freudian line. And he was a Holocaust survivor. And the first half of the book, he gives his experience in, the, in, uh, in a Holocaust camp, in a concentration camp. And the second half of his book is the, the psychiatric theories that have stemmed from that. And one of the main take-homes is that our struggles come from our search for meaning. And when you have meaning and when you believe in something bigger than yourself, you can get through just about anything. Yeah, it's a yeah, it's a great book, Phil. I've read it, and, and it's 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 not it's it's not very long read, as you pointed out. Probably get through it in a in a day, if if that. And uh, yeah, it's it's the yeah, as you pointed out, these aren't. Um, I think what we're talking about is not you know, novel, but it's something that oftentimes doesn't get talked about enough, especially by surgeons. I find. And it needs to get talked about more, in my opinion. It needs to get brought to the forefront. 
it's often pushed into the back or into the closet <laughs> and and people are not as willing to to discuss it because it you know it surgeons don't like to talk about their feelings oftentimes you know that could be a challenge to to, to bring up but uh, but I you know I don't have you know I'm not afraid to, to talk about it I've I've been through a lot in my short seven years in practice and um, I think it's I think the more we talk about it the less taboo of an issue it becomes and hopefully there we can sort of stop some of the sort of mass exodus from medicine because it is happening. And I think if we can create a culture, an institutional culture of purpose, perhaps that may be a strategy to, to keep people in the jobs and keep people in healthcare, because it is such, it can be such a rewarding field to be a part of, as I've witnessed firsthand, all these little miracles that I've told you about. I mean, these are, I, I mean, I walk around and talk to people and, and so many of my friends outside of medicine and, and family members have, you know, claimed that they've never witnessed a miracle before. And I tell them I get to see little tiny miracles almost daily. Uh, and, and, and that is just, it blows their mind oftentimes, <laughs> and, but it's true. It's true. And that's, you know, they might say I'm crazy, but I, but to me, it's, it's true. Well, we're all a little crazy, right? I mean, that's, uh, that's the fun. Um, so I, I agree with you completely. And I think us having this conversation today, hopefully lowers some of the taboo and, and hopefully this helps people out there in, uh, engage the concept of purpose and who they are and talk to others. But tell me, how, how do you talk to others about this in medicine? You know, your, your colleagues, your partners, your junior faculty, your residents, how do you engage with purpose and, and help lower that taboo? Yeah, it's something that I, I as a associate program director, I, I get to the privilege of, of working very closely with our residents. And, and I think it has to, uh, I think starting with, with the, the new trainees is a good place to start. I also work with a lot of medical students and, and try to make sure that purpose doesn't get lost in the shuffle that it becomes, you know, cause I think that's happening even earlier and earlier for me. I think it didn't happen probably till residency, but uh, I think, you want to make sure that it doesn't get lost in the electronic health record and all the, the data that gets thrown at you. Um, and, and to think, I try to challenge the people I work with that you're not here just to click boxes or to get your work done and go home that you are here. You know, it's, it's a matter of convincing people sometimes that, they have a higher purpose. I think that's half the battle sometimes is just getting people to buy in and believe that this is true. But I tell them how rewarding it is. I try to tell them my stories and, and you know, these little miracles that I, that I witnessed on a daily basis and, and how rewarding it is. And that, so it's sort of leading by example, showing people that, um, that, that it's true. And it can be challenging for, for people to, sort of identify what their purpose area is, but, but, but everybody has to sort of do some soul searching and some introspection to, to find out what their purpose area is and to identify what really makes them happy and fills them with joy at work and what they're passionate about. And, and that, that oftentimes will require some deep thought, contemplation, meditation, prayer, whatever you want to, to call it. 
but at the end of the day, it, it becomes, it has to start with these little conversations and, and getting people on board with the idea and the concept and, and just showing them by example, how having a purpose can lead to much more meaning and fulfillment in your everyday job. Yeah, I agree with you completely. And, and it's not easy to kind of instill this in others. And, and some people are incredibly receptive to this. Some people are less receptive. Everyone will benefit by identifying purpose and, and working towards it. And um, one of the ways I do it is, and people who, who may be a little more resistant or um, kind of less intentional about this, is just start with a value system and just start, what are your values? You know, let's list them. Tell me the things that are important to you. What, what's important to you? And then sometimes by listing values, you can put them in the context of our life. So if, you're, if one of your values is honesty or tr- truthfulness, right? What does that mean at home? What does that mean in the hospital? How do you employ you know, that value into your everyday life? And then you're right. People start thinking about these things and they start pondering on them. And, and all of a sudden it becomes a little bit more intelligent and fun because you're working through these things and, you know, it helps you identify, you know, values lead to priorities can lead to things like a mission statement. And uh, I think you have a mission statement. Well, I mean, it's, if I had to pick one, it it would be my mission is to cure bladder cancer. Yeah. Yeah. That's my mantra. That's my mission statement. Um, and, you know, I, and I dabble in a few other things as well that interest me, but, but that's my primary mission statement yeah. and it's good to, it's good to have focus. I think, you know, I think a lot of times people, myself included, uh, <laughs> you know, lose focus. Um, and, uh, but sort of bringing it back to purpose, you know, that can help you to be more focused. And I think that's, what's helped me over the past two years is to get more focused and, and focusing in on on what my purpose is, has been a huge help in getting, um, you know, being, being able to get the most out of the work that I do. And I like what you said about values. I think values are, are critical, you know, figuring out what your values are and it may be different than the institutional values and that's okay. You know, your values don't have to align with whatever the values are of your institution. Uh, they may be different and that's okay. Um, that's okay. Obviously you're going to have to, you know, grapple a little bit with the institutional values and prioritization is really important. Um, I have, uh, I, I showed a, one of the things I also talked about at the young urology forum was balance, right? How does purpose sort of fit in with balance in life. And for me, what helped out tremendously was listing what my priorities are in life. And, and then that can help, you know, help me internally know what, um, uh, what I need to, what I need to do on a day in and day out basis so that my priorities remained in alignment uh, and, and you could have separate priorities for like work and for at home, but uh, I usually start by just having a list of priorities of my life in general um, and make sure that my wife knows what my priorities are so that we can uh, keep each other honest. And hopefully, you know, your priorities are in alignment with your spouse's priorities. That's a separate podcast. I think we could go, we could go down that pathway, <laughs> but, but know what your priorities are. And, uh, and then, 
and then make sure that you check in often with, uh, with that list of priorities so that things aren't becoming out of alignment. Uh, because if they're, if, if, if your number one priority is, um, is your spouse, um, but your spouse is not feeling like he or she is your number one priority, then that's probably going to create some issues. So, so check in often. I think that's great advice. And I think it's huge. You know, I kind of have a, um, kind of a twofold mission statement and, you know, the first part of it is to be the best father and husband I can be. And you're right. You need to check in. I could want to be that. I could try and do those things, but it doesn't mean I'm hitting the mark. So you're right. You need to check in. Um, and I think one of the nice, uh, strategies. There's two ways to do this. You can do kind of a time or money kind of audit, right? So if you say your family is your priority and the first thing you do Saturday morning is wake up and play six hours of golf, you're not living what you're saying, right? Unless your family's coming to play golf with you, right? And, and you can do the same thing with your disposable income, right? Pull out all of the income that you spend on your mortgage and your bills and your car payments, the things you have and your kids' education and then where do you spend your disposable income, right? Once again, we're just going to pick on golf today because Steve Nakata is somewhere in your background there. But, uh, you know, is it on golf clubs or is it on piano lessons for your kids or whatever it may be, right? So, uh, and that's kind of the first part of my mission. And, and similar to you in, in the cancer realm or in the medical realm, the other part of my mission is to make lasting improvements to the manage, management of urologic cancer. And mine is, tends to be a little more focused on, on kidney and testicular cancer. I write those parenthetically. Um, but part of this podcast today is making, hopefully, making lasting improvements to the management of urologic cancers, right? You and I are sitting here talking about it, contributing, you know, to hopefully contributing to somebody else achieving their purpose and being more happy at work and making a lasting impact to the field. And so there's lots of layers to, to that mission. Yeah. And I, I agree wholeheartedly and I'm along those lines. I'm uh, you know, if I, I think you, you have to ask yourself those hard questions is are, are you happy at work? You know, are you happy at home? Are you happy at both work and home at the same time? You know, these are important questions, right? Because I think joy and happiness is something that we all, I think that's a fairly uh, safe thing to say that we all strive for. Right? I mean, nobody wants to be unhappy, I don't think. Uh, so, so we should be happy at work. I think that's a safe statement to say. And sitting here, you know, and I, that's something I ask myself daily am I happy at work? Uh, and I think everyone should ask themselves that. And if you're not, then there, you, you should try to do things to, um, you know, work on that and purpose can help you sort of get there, uh, knowing what your purpose is, because if you are working in your purpose area or areas, you're, you're going to be happy. And I'm living proof of that. I think you Phil, you're probably living proof of that as well, that if you're doing work, that's purposeful, for a higher purpose, you're going to be happy at work. Uh, and then when it comes, you know, just going back to priorities uh, a little bit, you know, checking in, we talked about checking in, it can be kind of awkward. You know, I, my spouse is sort of my check-in and sometimes it can be hard, you know, these can be hard conversations to sometimes have with your spouse or significant other. So, uh, so we set up a, we devised a system where if I, look at her and I just ask her, 
how am I doing? Like that's our sort of our code. How am I doing? All she has to say is good or we need to talk. <laughs> and if, if she says good, then we're good. If she says we need to talk, then we need to have a more in-depth conversation about it. Cause it's something that you don't necessarily, it can be an uncomfortable conversation to have, even with somebody that you love. Uh, but she knows that I've given her carte blanche to, to, to sit me down and say, look, your priorities are out of whack. You need to do something, but if they're good, if I'm doing a good job, I just say, how am I doing? I'd probably do this once a month. And she says, you're doing good. <laughs> That's great. I'm going to, I'm going to take that home. I, I, um, I express to my wife a lot how much she and the kids mean to me and that I'm trying to make things work, but I don't ask and I need to start asking. I think that's a really, really great point to bring up Kyle. I think if you don't ask, then they're less likely to say something, right? Because, you know, it, it might be hard for them to bring it up, right? Cause they know, Phil, you're at work, you're busting your hump, you're doing awesome. You're, you're curing cancer, hopefully. And, I've, at least with my spouse, I oftentimes found that she didn't want to necessarily bring up hard conversations because she knew I was having a lot of hard conversations at work and, you know, she didn't want to be a nag. You know, a lot of spouses, they don't want to come off as, you know, not that they're passive, but they may not want to bring up these topics. So it is, I think it's a, a good practice to get into is to just, you know, have somebody that you can check in with and ask them regularly how you're doing. Yeah. And I think it, uh, the analogy for work is have either a colleague or your divisional lead or your chairperson, depending on who you're kind of checking in with, right? It, it's good to check in with them too. say, hey, listen, here's my mission. Here's the things I want to achieve. How do you think I'm doing? And you got to find somebody who can be honest with you and tell you when you're not living up to your, your own expectations. Right? Yeah, absolutely. And, and early on in your career at work, you might need, you know, Usually you need more of that. Um, but even as you progress through your career, it's always good to have somebody that you can sort of check in with and that you could trust and, and say, hey, you know, what do you think? Am I am I off base here? Am I, you know, am I working? Am I doing a good job? You know, don't don't just feed me a line of BS. Tell me the truth. I mean, how can I grow as a as a urologist or as an oncologist? How can I be the best that I can be. Um, and uh, I think early on for any of the young, young, younger urologists listening, it's, this is probably something you may want to do um, monthly or even quarterly with uh, somebody at work. Uh, for me, I was, um, uh, my boss, Dr. Nakata meets with all junior faculty um, for the first year uh, monthly, um, sort of as a check-in. How's it going? You know, make sure that you're working towards the right uh, goals and whatnot. Um, and then that sort of after the first year, it's quarterly and then, you know, changes as you progress. But it's a good it's a good system. Uh, I felt very comforted knowing that uh, there was somebody here uh, that had my back and that was you know, willing to give me very open and honest feedback. Yeah. And I think the key is finding someone who's honest uh, and sometimes can be brutally honest. And sometimes it takes a committee, right? You, you may want to seek out multiple people. Some people have, you know, may have strengths in academia. Some people may have strengths in, in clinical medicine and may be able to give advice, but the key is they have to be honest with you. And one of my, one of my best uh, confidants is Trinity Bivolacquin. I don't know if anybody knows Trinity. Trinity is brutally honest 
all of the time. And he's a great person to check in with because he puts me in my place when I need to be put in my place. And uh, he's been a tremendous asset and a friend through, you know, now well over a decade of kind of, you know, collaborative work. So uh, I think you all need somebody like that or a team like that who can be honest with you. Yeah, definitely. The other part you brought up about purpose, which I think is really important too, as we get kind of towards the end of the podcast here is, you know, you kind of talked about it, um, kind of clearing mind space and keeping you very focused. And when you have priorities and when you have purpose, decision-making gets very easy and you don't get bogged down in it. Right. So I said before, my first priority was to be the best father and husband I can be. So we had a SUO meeting recently and, uh, I love kidney cancer. I do a lot of work in kidney cancer. I was really interested in the Friday afternoon kidney cancer session, which was one of the later sessions in the meeting. But if I went to that session, I would not have got home Friday night for my family. And it was a no brainer. I didn't even have to waste any mental energy on this. My priority was my wife and kids. I got the plane tickets and I went home. Um, it, it was, it was very easy to do and I didn't lose any sleep over it. It wasn't challenging for me. And as you said, you can, by creating your priorities and putting them in lit in order, it's, it makes your decision-making easier and you can use your brain power for more challenging things. Yeah. I've, I've had a lot of people ask me like, how do you, how do you say, how do you say no, for instance, like that's a, something that comes up often, right? You, as we all get asked and pulled in many directions. Hey, can you be on this committee? Can you, you know, go to, can you see this patient? Can you do this project? And it can be very hard to say no. And if you know what your priorities are, you can always say, well, does this align? Where does this fit on my priority list? And can I add one more task to my already growing list list of tasks. Um, and, and if it's low on your priority list, then it's an easy no. You don't have to expend a lot of brain power thinking about it. You can just say no and move on. Obviously, if you say no, you want to sort of think, well, what are the consequences? If I do say no, are these big consequences or little consequences? Most of the time, the consequences are inconsequential. So you can say no without any with without thinking twice. But that doesn't make it easy. It's still hard to say no. And so I tell a lot of people that are new to this just to practice. You have to practice. You have to get better at anything, just like, you know, playing baseball. You know, you probably didn't wake up one day good at baseball, right? You practiced. You worked hard. Uh, you know, Alan Iverson didn't like to practice, but it's it's important, right? <laughs> it's important to practice. You know, we get better at surgery by doing more surgery, not that we practice, but we, we, you know, experience matters. So the more you say no, the better you get at it, the less anxiety it creates. And you can start by saying no to small things and then work your way up to bigger things. Uh, so, so I think, uh, you know, learning how to say no and when to say no does require practice and being, you know, sort of mindful about, about it. And, uh, yeah. So that's my sort of advice on uh, how to say no. And, and just like you had to say no to that kidney cancer session, uh, you, you knew that it was, you know, if, when you look at your priority list, it was much more important for you to be home that night to see your wife and kids. So that was an easy, easy no. But, you know, early on in your career, that may have been a harder no, because you're like, well, if I, if I miss the kidney cancer session, then 
you know, I, you know, they won't ask me to be on a panel ever again. My career will be ruined, right? You sort of blow it way out of proportion. Uh, but, uh, so, so early on in your career, practice saying no to smaller things and then it'll be become easier later on. Yep. I agree with you completely. And there's lots of polite ways to say no. And there's lots of intentional ways to say no is to say, listen, I would love to do this. However, I have a million other things to do. What would you recommend I get rid of to take this on? And sometimes that helps people, you know, puts things into perspective and can kind of help them make decisions, especially when it's coming from above, right? When a boss is asking you and you don't really want to say no, but you can say, Hey boss, Dr. Nakata, I would love to do this for you, but look what I've got going on this week, the next week, the next couple of months, help me prioritize what I should get rid of to take this on. And sometimes they'll say, well, maybe the thing I was asking you wasn't that important in the grand scheme of things. And they'll say no for you, but boundaries are huge. And uh, I think it's a great point. Purposeful boundaries, purposeful no's, really important point to bring up there, Kyle. Thanks, Phil. Well, good. So we're running up on an hour. So just want to give you the opportunity. Is there anything else you want to talk about? Anything you want to bring up? Anything, you know, we should kind of round the hour out with purpose? Yeah, I'm just looking back at some of my notes that that I've jotted down. Uh, and I think, I think we've hit on a, a lot of important stuff here, Phil, and a lot to sort of unpack. Uh, uh, hopefully this has been useful to people listening. And I want people to walk away from this, first off, believing that uh, they have a purpose. That's the first step, right? You have to have a belief that, that each and every one of us was put here for a reason, not just, we're not here just based on random events. And you have to believe that. And I think once you believe that, then, uh, you know, figure out what you're here for. And that's not easy. Uh, for some people, it's easier than others. It requires a lot of thought, prayer, meditation to figure that out. It may be obvious for, for some people, but like I said, for most people, it's it's not totally obvious. Uh, and, um, you know, we may have different purposes at different points in our lives, and, and we may have different purposes. Like I have different purposes at work than I have at home. You know, I'm, I'm not a urologist at home, right? I'm just, you know, dad and husband. You hope and, not. The guy, yeah, the guy that takes out the trash, right, <laughs> and empties the dishwasher, and occasionally makes dinner, <laughs> occasionally. Um, so, so we have different purposes at different phases in our lives, and and all those purposes are important. You know, the the person that comes in and and takes, you know, that the janitor, right? That person serves a really important purpose in in maintaining, you know, whatever facility you're in. These are you know, you can find purpose in just about anything, any task that you do. And, and uh, I think that's, um, if we do that, our lives will be full of much more meaning and much more joy. Yeah. I think that's wonderful. And, and it brings up to a couple other, you know, thoughts, just, just listening to you there. And the first is that purpose evolves, right? And just as you said, it, and then so that's okay. So check in with your purpose. I, I do it every six months formally. I formally look down and you know I, I keep a document that I, I kind of list values, mission statement, purpose, short-term, long-term goals, and you know, kind of at least every six months, take stock and, and see how you're doing. And I think you, by objectively putting these things down on paper and writing them down can kind of force you to do that. I think um, you're right. There, there is an initial investment to this process, and it's not easy. But for those of you who use Epic, right, this is creating your smart phrases. 
it's that initial investment will save you a ton of time and energy on the back end. And so, you know, kind of the initial investment in, in working towards purpose is, is really important. And then the last point you brought up, which I think is hugely important um, in 2021, I think it's been important throughout history, but especially in 2021, is that that janitor has purpose and is just important to this hospital and this hospital system and patient care as I am and you are. And we play different roles. And I think it's really important to recognize that while we play different roles and we have different purposes, we are all incredibly valuable in this system and bring value to the system. And valuing one person or one role above another is is um, wrong, um, but it also leads to discontent and problems. And if we would just value everyone, I think would be, a, uh, and value everyone's purpose and recognize that their purpose may be different than yours, but it's there is, I think, an important part of this too. Well said, Phil. I couldn't have said it better myself. That's a good wrap up. Yeah, it was nice. So um, yeah, so I'm just going to hit a couple other high points for the audience and then we'll, we'll sign off. But, um, you know, we talked about, um, I think the biggest point, as you said, is, is belief in purpose. And this can come through faith. This can come uh, through par- prayer or being mindful. Um, and when you're having trouble finding purpose, um, sit down, look at your values, look at your systems, be intentional about it. And we're all going to do work that is not purposeful or feels not purposeful. And you said aim for, for 50% of, of your work to be purposeful. There's actually some data from the Mayo Clinic that I think it says if you do 20% of your work is purposeful or, or gives you meaning, you'll survive. Uh, I agree with you. We should aim for much more than 20% uh, in, in kind of our purposeful, intentional work. But I love how you talk about repurposing work that does not feel purposeful, whether it's through... Um, crafting it to your mission, whether it's taking time to reflect while you're doing mindless activities like cleaning the dishes or, or filling out your EHR. We talked about how no one, especially your institution, is going to protect your individual purpose. So go out there and, and, and protect it and define it yourself. We talked about priorities. And lastly, we talked about the purposeful no or the purposeful boundaries. And by putting values and priorities and purpose together can help us make decisions and help move us in the right direction of where we want to go. I, yeah, thanks, Phil. It's been uh, a lot of fun. I've enjoyed having this discussion and uh, there's a lot more we could talk about, but uh, I really enjoyed it. And thanks for putting this together. You got it, Kyle. Great having you here. I'm uh, sure we're going to talk about a lot more things at another day. So have a great day. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.